Over four decades ago, medical device pioneers John Abley and Pete Nicholas co-founded Boston Scientific to get life-saving technologies into the hands of physicians. Today, thousands of Boston Scientific employees are continuing that mission. We'll begin to tell their stories here on the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Our guest today is Potty O'Connor. He's Senior Vice President of Global Supply Chain at Boston Scientific. I've had the uh, great pleasure of speaking with Potty a few times. He was on our Device Talks weekly podcast, a link of which I will uh, add to the podcast notes so you can hear that and uh, hear more about Potty's background. We didn't really cover that in this interview today because I wanted to really focus on uh, where Boston Scientific was in terms of its current supply chain uh, challenges and opportunities. Uh, we talk a bit about where it was when Potty and I first talked. Uh, this was during uh, or just post-pandemic, so things were a little, uh, a little uh, more difficult then, but they've smoothed out. But we'll also talk a great deal about uh, sustainability and other uh, uh, efforts that Boston Scientific has undertaken uh, on the supply chain front. So it was uh, great to connect or reconnect with Potty, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation. But before we begin this conversation, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Zometry. I am speaking with Randy Altshuler. He is CEO of Zometry. Randy, can you tell us about Zometry? Zometry is the leading marketplace for custom manufacturing. We use artificial intelligence to create instant pricing for customers, recommend the optimal manufacturing technology for them to use, and then match them with the best manufacturers to make their parts. Based in the U.S., right outside of Washington, D.C., Zometry is a public company. We have headquarters in Europe outside of Munich and in Asia in Shanghai. We service most of the Fortune 100 and many different industry verticals, including medical devices, automotive, aerospace, robotics, consumer, among others. We have over 52,000 active buyers and thousands of manufacturers spread out across the United States, Europe, and Asia. Manufacturing technologies that we offer range from 3D printing, CNC machining, sheet metal, and injection molding, and we're constantly adding new manufacturing technologies, new materials, and new finishes to that. That's great. We'll hear more from Zometry a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more right now, go to its website, Zometry.com. And Zometry is spelled X-O-M-E-T-R-Y, Zometry.com. Well, Paddy O'Connor, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Tom. I almost said welcome back because you were on the Device Talks Weekly podcast, I thought like two years ago, but I just looked it up and it was only like a year and two months ago. So uh, time continues to be a blur. At the time, we reviewed sort of where the state of supply chain for Boston Scientific. I think, I hope we've moved past those conversations a bit, but I think it's worth just uh, opening up and uh, exploring that again. And also, I'll, I'll tell folks, normally we also open up these conversations talking about the background of our guest, but that was covered in that podcast. So I'll put a link of that in the notes and uh, people can, can listen to that and learn more about you in that regard. So let's talk about supply chain. I know it's it's your your your, your favorite topic. 
where are we today? Is everything back to normal? Are we fixed? Are, are we all better after the uh, <laughs> the last three years? Yeah, that's a big question. But I would say we're back to a new normal. I think things have greatly improved since we talked, yeah, 14 months ago now. A lot of the commodities are coming around. There are still a few corner spots. So I, I think when we talked maybe over a year ago, we were talking about we were dealing with hundreds of issues. And what I'd say now, I would say, and uh, the trajectory then was that was getting smaller. And, I, and I'd say it is getting smaller and continues to get smaller. And our metrics are improving when we, when we look at our back order at service levels, continue to improve month over month. If you look at last month, it's our best in like probably 26 months. We are projecting to continue to recover probably mid next year to full normality. But I would say the business has stopped talking about it and moved on and we're truly back to growth. No, that's that's good to hear. Curious, how do all the global events that are going on in the world? Uh, are they something that you keep an eye on? Obviously, as a citizen of the earth, I'm sure you do. But as a supply chain professional, is that something that you're you're monitoring at a professional level? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have you know some of our team in Russia, and we have a large team actually in Israel. And mm. as you said, on a human side, we won't get into it, but it's terrible, I and mean, we all hope and for better times ahead for all the humans involved. But at a supply chain level, it's amazing the resilience of people and the search for normal. We had a call yesterday with our, our, our colleagues in, in Israel and we have, Boston Scientific have close to 500 people there. We have a factory there that, that builds products, very important products for urology business and a little bit for our PI business. And those two factories are back in operation and we, we built about 81% of our plan last month and it's down to the commitment of all our people that they, they want to come to work they want normality in, in the face of the crazy things that are going on obviously right provisions and flexibility is needed for all types of issues but yeah we're, we're monitored all the time and i'm always incredibly amazed by the resilience of people and how they continue to march on irrespective of the challenges in front of them. that's a great point before we get into the conversation a little more about supply chain, I do want to better understand your role in all of this. I, I can't imagine what your office looks like, how many post-its you have up on your wall, if you use post-its, but you've got a lot on your plate. Can you give me a little summation of, of what your responsibilities are? Sure. So I run what we call global supply chain, and we define our supply chain as the elements of plan planning, so our planning teams, our sourcing teams, so we buy all the materials that, that we build our make, our manufacturing team. So we have many factories, 16 plus factories around the world. Deliver, so our kind of logistics teams and then our service teams. So that's kind of all our customer facing teams. So our customer care teams, capital equipment teams, our field service teams, that all encompasses our global supply chain. And that's, uh, I get the pleasure and privilege to run that organization for Boston Scientific. And you provide that function for all of your different businesses? Yeah, the whole the whole. Wow. So I think I heard an interview you were on, you have Boston Scientific has over 17,000 products total. Yeah. So, and you're, okay, well, good for yeah. you. <laughs> I hope you're not going to ask me to name all of them. Yeah, would you please? <laughs> Alphabetically and then the other way. Yeah. So great. All right. Well, let's go back to supply chain. I know you've been making some changes in addition to the accommodations the world had to make to the pandemic a few years ago. Over that time, many corporations have been trying to reduce their impact on the environment and move toward net zero carbon reduction. A lot of that is going to be supply chain. We Anyone who, who orders from Amazon knows some of the waste, including myself, that's brought on by those boxes upon boxes that are found on your front steps. But at your level and at your job, let's talk a bit about the different areas that you're tackling to 
meet these challenges. So, I mean, I guess shipping would be a number of primary area to focus. How has Boston Scientific looked at, at changes in shipping and, and, and what could be done there to, uh, to minimize your impact? Yeah, it's a great question, Tom. And I think if we take a half a step back, maybe to give a little context. So sure. you probably listened in on our investor day recently. Um, Mike Mahoney and Dan and the rest of the team talked about a few th- big commitments that Boston Scientific is making over the coming years. One, obviously, growth. So committing to 8 to 10% top line growth, which is fantastic. Obviously, that turns into real widgets and units that we got to build and ship around the world. We're trying to expand our profitability and we've committed to net zero by 2050. And you rightly point out that a lot of that's going to land on on the shoulders of supply chain. So the way we think about it in supply chain is rather than thinking of those as all very discrete elements, how do we think of them together? And one great program we've given um, birth to in the organization, we call it Ideal Product Flow, where we think about how we move our products to our customers. So the, the, the great thing about growth is it brings volume. It also brings different markets. We're expanding in different markets. You know, China's growing greatly for us. We think about our emerging markets, think about Cape Town to Dubai and, and everywhere in between, 65 different countries. So we, we got to reach further with our products. So yes, ID product flow then will, will challenge us to how do we how do we meet that growth? How do we reduce our cost basis? And how do we drive kind of sustainability and carbon footprint in the right direction while doing all that? So yeah, so a big part of that logistics. So if you want me to give it like one of the key cornerstones of ideal product flow is how we deliver our products to our customers. Historically, this business did it all in the air. We had a couple of big nodes in the US and and, uh, in the Netherlands that every manufacturing site shipped to and then we air freight to our customers so it's a simple program like so how do we change that we go to our big markets directly from our manufacturing locations and how do we do it with more sustainable transportation i.e air to ocean and we know the carbon footprint of ocean is the best transport mode in the world versus air so it's like it's nearly like a 96 percent reduction in the carbon footprint so we're not unique. We're not. We're not. We're not the only people in the world doing this. But figuring out how to rewire your supply chain while it's in flight is a healthy challenge we've taken on, and uh, we're making tremendous progress in that direction. Can you give me a sense of what the percentage of uh, freight that's moved by air versus versus sea is currently? Ballpark. Yeah, I can. It's a simple answer and a complicated answer. The simple <laughs> answer is probably somewhere in our world. I'm only answering for Boston Scientific. But when we started this about a year ago, really the only lane we had on the ocean was out of Costa Rica into the U.S. We used to come up to the eastern ship, uh, seaboard. So as a percentage of all our freight, maybe that was like, you know, 14%. Our challenge right now is how do we get that somewhere closer to 90% by wow. 2026? And all those lanes don't exist today. So that's part of the challenge. How do we bring the industry with us, our peers, competitors, whatever way you want to look at it. But, but we're making great progress. So, you know, the world is moving in this direction. So we obviously, we, we have a big manufacturing location, uh, three actually in Ireland. And a lot of that product comes to the U.S. If we go back pre-pandemic, there was no ocean freight from Ireland to the U.S. Now that lane exists. And so we're going to go from just on that lane alone, 0% on the ocean to near 90% by the end of next year. So that's well on the way. So this is very doable. That's an easy one. When we think about Costa Rica to China, that's a little more complicated, but we have uh, plans in place. And are you still moving toward having manufacturing in other parts? Oh, you should mention Costa Rica and Ireland. I think the last time we talked, did you have some other sites that were going up in, in Europe, if I remember correctly? 
not in Europe. We're in Malaysia, so we're Malaysia. We, Penang, Malaysia. So we're expanding that facility, and uh, we've announced another third facility in our in our Costa Rica location. So that that will bring the three very large facilities down there. We actually have a fourth, but we incorporate that into in three large sites. So yeah, so not 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 really. So we we're really continuing to concentrate in those four locations: okay. Ireland, the U.S., Costa Rica, and Malaysia. And does moving more toward sea shipping does that involve then shipping directly from Costa Rica to not going through the U.S., but rather shipping directly by sea to other locations in the globe? Or are you still coming to the U.S. and then going out via the sea? Or do you know yet? Yeah, we do know. So the goal is to skip nodes, so go directly and kind Mm -hmm. of take take down kind of miles travel on every product we build. So, but that involves infrastructure investment. So one of the reasons all our product comes from Costa Rica to the U.S. is that's where we do most of our sterilization. So we've actually an investment running in Costa Rica to build one sterilization facility to serve all our plants. And that will, be, that will allow us to aggregate and consolidate all our inventory, sterilize locally, and then give us the option to ship wherever we want directly because the product is ready for market. So that's another key tenant of our, of our strategy around ideal product flow to bring sterilization close to the point of manufacturing. And then also sterilize into primary packaging. So today, when we build product for a market, we, we pack it, we put in the, the IFU, the instructions for use, we put it in a box, we put the box on a pallet, and then we shrink wrap it, and then we send it to a sterilization facility. So we're going to change that and move sterilization in process. So we only take the pouch product off the production line. That allows us to nearly double our sterilization capacity with the current infrastructure, as well as it allows us to reduce our ethylene oxide consumption. And that's super important. We know environmentally why that's good. We know some of the regulations that are coming at us. That's good. And and, uh, I'd like to think we're we're ahead uh, with our moves and investments and our strategies to help on that side of the environmental challenges we've got to, to face up to as an industry yeah i feel like we're in really good shape there i will take a quick break from this conversation to bring back our sponsor zometry once again i'm speaking with randy alshuler he is ceo of zometry randy zometry is a great name in medtech how do you work with medical device companies Medical device companies are actually one of our largest verticals. In fact, we work with 86% of the Fortune 500 medical products and equipment companies. And we can help our customers anywhere from prototyping to production. So that means we include manufacturing technologies like 3D printing, CNC machining, and a full range of injection molding processes as well. This helps our customers innovate faster and frankly better with our instant pricing, our instant design for manufacturability feedback, and the opportunity to access live engineers. Zometry also has ISO 134885 certification, which enables us to provide medical device components and sub-assemblies. We have customers do on-site audits, and we can provide whatever certifications that they're looking for. This has enabled us to do everything, provide pharmaceutical production lines in sterile and clean room environments, We've also been able to ramp up production for vaccines during COVID. And so it's a wide range of what we can offer for customers at any time. And there's no minimums to use us. So that, again, enables you to start with us when you start first working on a product and then move all the way into the production phases of it. It certainly sounds like you have a lot going on. Do you have any news to share with our listeners? Yeah, we've got a a bunch of great news for our medical device customers. So first of all is our wide range of quick turn injection molding services. We offer many more materials than we've ever had before, different finishes, different capabilities. So that's very exciting. 
We've also launched something called TeamSpace. So that's software that enables teams of engineers and procurement people at medical device companies to collaborate together at Zometry on different parts and different projects online seamlessly. They can share information. They can quote together. They can get statuses of projects. So it just digitizes what often can be a very manual and time-intensive process for our customers. And then we're continuing to also launch more and more materials that are particularly relevant for the medical device industry, everything from stainless steel and copper and peak and polycarbonates and, and different materials on the 3D printing side and processes like SLA and vapor smoothing of SLS and multi-jet fusion. So all that bundled together means we're doing more and more for medical device companies and more and more bespoke solutions that fit their needs. Fantastic. And finally, from your perspective, again, you're seeing a lot. What changes do you see uh, affecting the industry in the future? Artificial intelligence is going to play a key role in the digitization and transformation of the manufacturing industry for medical devices. And it's at the heart of Zometry. Our instant quoting engine analyzes enormous amounts of data to generate a great price for customers and a lead time for them as well. And it also offers them instant recommendations about what manufacturing technologies they should use and pitfalls of the various choices. Our AI is only going to continue to get better as Zometry continues to grow. And we've also announced a partnership recently with Google Cloud to enhance our AI capabilities. So I really encourage everybody to come and try it out. They can go to Zometry.com, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com and try our, our quoting engine. And, and Tom, thank you so much for inviting me to the podcast today. Well, that's great, Randy. Thanks for joining us on the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Thanks to Zometry for sponsoring this episode. Once again, if you want to find out more about Zometry, as Randy suggested, go to its website, Zometry.com. That's X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. All right, then the next step, I guess, and I'm learning a lot about how these products are putting together. And I mentioned the, the boxes from Amazon earlier on. The other thing that's always a frustration is product instruction, the materials you get that you just end up throwing out without even looking at. So what is Boston Scientific doing in those regards? Yeah, yeah, great question. That's another key cornerstone of this program. And, and if we look at the regulation in the world today, well, maybe if we go back 20 years, you know, everyone required a physical IFU in the devices to ship with the device. Thankfully now that's changed and, and less than 10% of our customers by regulation require our uh, IFUs to be packaged uh, with devices. So, hmm. you know, very simply what we're gonna do is remove them. So it sounds, <laughs> sounds simple, but when we think about the agility of our products, you know, once you remove it, then you're restricted on all the, the, some of the markets you can go to. So, so it does demand us actually to, to kind of think through how we configure our products and how we postpone our products. So the good news is this is going to bring agility, actually, when we think it all the way through. If we can remove uh, IFUs from our devices connected to EIFUs, so you still need instructions, it's just going to be digital. And then we can decide later in the process, so post-sterilization, in fact, which market you're going to ship to. So then you pack it to that market. So whatever is the local requirement, if they require an IFU, great, we put it in there. If they don't, great, we put it, the product in a smaller box, optimize shipping, and then take all those other advantages of ocean and direct and get the product to the customer when it's needed. So so it sounds like a small thing. It sounds like a crazy thing. Uh, why haven't we done it before? Truth is we have done it on some of our products before, but not on mats. So, so this is about doing that on 
practically every product we have in our portfolio by 2026. And that, and that, will, uh, that again, another you know, another advantage of kind of bundling this program that we call Ideal Product Flow, we can kind of pull it all together as we reimagine how we configure ship product to the end customer. Interesting. And I think we hit upon this a little bit earlier before we were talking about shipping, but as your process of, of sending product out to customers change, when you're sort of deciding what products to ship and where? Yes and no. I guess ultimately the customer gets the product when they want. Sure. The, you know, the customer's always right. So we, we got to follow that. But I would say what we're finding is there's degrees of freedom within that. And I think, honestly, the pandemic has allowed people to be a little more flexible. So we've, we've honestly changed how we even move product in the U.S. You know, historically, med devices, everything was critical, ship it next day here. We've moved that now to two-day ground. Our customers are happier because we're lowering the carbon footprint. Force us to plan and be thoughtful and be more connected with our customers and, and, and continue to work and develop and improve on that. But I think what we're finding is the more we partner with our customers, we actually want the same thing. And we can do that in different ways, as I said, like the US example, going more ground and, and a little slower, but, but not affecting the outcome of, of the patient, which is ultimately what we're trying to do here together. And how do all of these efforts affect the rest of the business, the development side, the sales side, I guess, when they're looking to fulfill orders. Are your intentions and are your plans and are your changes, are they being made known? I imagine they are company-wide. And does that require changes from them as well? Yeah, I'd say it does, right? In the sense of it's, so everyone is super interested. The awareness that's growing and our environmental responsibility and commitments continues. As I would say some regions are, are further along than others. You know, you get to, EMEA and the Nordics, and it's actually getting into some tenders now. And we, we look at the health system in the UK. They've set some goals out in 2027 and 28 where they want some visibility with the carbon footprint and what you're doing as an organization to improve things. So the appetite's becoming more and more in the organization. And honestly, at a, at a human level, employee level, you know, the generations that are coming behind us, uh, thankfully, are, are more conscious and more aware of the environmental impact. So it's becoming it's becoming a differentiator with respect to attracting talent into the organization. So, so yeah, we, we're leading with messaging that's really strong because actually it's the right thing to do and we can create value. That, that's what's great about it. Because uh, sometimes you come into these conversations and it feels like, like a trade-off. What are you going to do? Are you going to save the planet or save money? <laughs> well, no, actually, we can do both. That's why I think that's why we're getting so much support across the organization. And final question, are you requiring, well, what are you communicating to your suppliers, the smaller businesses that work with you? Are you evaluating them based upon their ability to adhere to these new priorities? Has it led to a change in, in supplier base at all? How has that relationship changed if it has at all? Yeah, I would say we're at the beginning of that kind of relationship. So when we think about, you know, scope three carbon emissions, the supply base is the biggest part of that. So as we tackle our kind of scope one and two, think about you know the energy we consume, how we build product, our own infrastructure, we've committed to carbon neutrality there by 2030 and well on the way. So what our suppliers scope one and two becomes our scope three. So the good news is our approach is partnering. They want to do the same thing. They, they have the same pressures. Not all of them. You know, as you point out, there's big suppliers and little suppliers, different. And we're finding that they're all approaching it a little differently. But I think, honestly, that the whole industry is moving in this direction. And we've paved the way and we can help our supply base. But yes, we're absolutely engaging with our suppliers and asking for help because we need their help as we drive down our ultimate emissions to our products that reach our customers. They're going to have to help us. Excellent. 
So is it any easier being a, a supply chain professional now than it was uh, two or three years ago? I must sleep a little bit better at night. Yeah, I do sleep a little better. I think, plus, <laughs> you know, you, you joked earlier about, you know, what's in my office, you know, and I look at my board, there's five things on the board and it's about priorities. And, and the good news is the five priorities are, are looking a little more forward than they were a year ago. So I think that's what, so I would say it's not any easier, but we get to work on stuff that's maybe a little more fun as we, <laughs> as we think about changing and transforming and improving things for our customers and employees in this budget. Excellent. All right, Paddy. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Boston Scientific Talks. Thanks again to Zometry for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to find out more information about Zometry, again, go to zometry.com. That's X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Please do me a favor and share this episode of Boston Scientific Talks on your social media channels. You can post it on LinkedIn. Tag myself, Tom Salemi, at Device Talks. Also connect with me on LinkedIn. And of course, uh, tag Boston Scientific Talks or Boston Scientific as well. Also, make sure you subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network so don't miss a future episode of our great podcast. You can find out more about those podcasts at devicetalks.com. Once again, thanks for joining us on this episode of Boston Scientific Talks. We'll have another episode coming to you real soon. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.